you know, you have to, at some point in your product career, get comfortable with the fact that you're not going to be right all the time and check that, right? Like check yourself and just turn around and say, okay, I do have a team around me. This is not a one-man band or one-woman band. This is a situation where I have designers, engineers, product operations, people, PMM around me and think of them as your team. You know, they're all coming in with different points and they're all coming in with healthy viewpoints and having that conversation, bringing in the data with that conversation. That's where I say we all check ourselves and make sure we're driving the right outcomes. Welcome to Behind the Product, a podcast by SEP, where we believe it takes more than a great idea to make a great product. We've been around for over 30 years, building software that matters more. And we've set out to explore the people, practices, and philosophies to try and capture what's behind great software products. So join us on this journey of conversation with the folks that bring ideas to life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Our guest today is Christine Atwaru. She's the head of product at Vitality IO. Recently, she was the head of strategy at Pendo. Christine and I met at industry earlier this year where she gave a talk on utilizing AI in the product management lifecycle. I wanted to go a bit deeper on that thread in this show, and our conversation covered a really broad set of topics from data-driven decision-making to the idea of getting comfortable not being right as a product manager. I really enjoyed our chat. I'm sure you will too. But before we dive in, as always, if you think there's one person who might enjoy our show, please consider sharing it with them or share some feedback from me. You can send me a note at podcast at SCP.com. All right, let's get to it. Hope you enjoy. You and I met about, what, six weeks ago now? Last month? It's been a little while. It's been a while. At Industry, which is a product conference in Cleveland. I think it was my second or my third time going to Industry. You've been going there for quite a while. You've been attending and involved for a while. No, it was actually only my Really? Mm-hmm. Man, you knew everybody. You were just like a social butterfly walking <laughs> through there. Just like, we're all friends here. I know everyone. <laughs> High fives and hugs all around. Oh, they're such a great group of people. I love the Industry people. Both the organizers and then... I definitely saw some people from the first one I attended at Industry New York, and that's probably what you're thinking about. Oh, yeah. I didn't. So there's three. I thought there were just two. There's one in Dublin and one in Cleveland, but there's also one in New York. I did not know that. Yeah, at least this year, that was my first time speaking at the one in New York. So, and then just I definitely I saw some customers, and then we had some people from the company, obviously promoting the company. So okay, Mm -hmm. so that's some context setting for how you and I chatted, and we talked a bunch the couple of days. Loved your talk. I want to start with just a little bit about your talk. You gave a talk about leveraging AI in the product management lifecycle. Tell me a little bit about why you think that was obviously AI has been a hot topic this year. You know, why was that something that you wanted to give now? Yeah. What was important for that for you? I will clear it up and say it wasn't bandwagon. I did not want to go to a conference and speak about AI for the sake of speaking about AI. I actually did a conference before that, about a month before in Edinburgh, where I was so happy that there was such a nice blend of AI, non-AI content. And so I really was hoping that they weren't going to be, oh, yeah, let's all do AI. But there's a lot of buzz around it. And people are talking about it. In that time, I remember, actually not in that time, from the beginning of the year up until then, I remember just getting bombarded with what should we be doing as PMs or as product leaders 
is this something for us to worry about? The whole concept of automating people's jobs obviously scares everyone everywhere. Unless you're doing manual labor, you're really freaking out about whether your role is going to be eliminated. And I spoke on behalf of my company, Pendo. And for us, it was a moment where we said, how do we embrace this? What are we going to do now that this technology is fully out there? We were already dabbling in ML and AI before trying to figure out our strategy around it, trying to figure out where we're going to place efforts. And then as it boomed, and let's just say ChatGPT made it boom for the world. We sat down and we said, okay, well, here's what we'll do on the product. But as thought leaders in the space, as we serve product managers and product teams, we were like, well, how do we actually help people feel comfortable around it? So the company actually developed a really nice toolkit around how to lean into AI around the product management lifecycle. And so for me, I was like, I'd love to talk about that. I think it's important for us to remember that things come along and we can either push it to the side or we can figure out how to partner with it. But the more you're able to partner with something, the more successful you are, the more successful your team is, your company ends up bearing that success or benefiting from it. So that's why it was important for me to talk about it. I love that sentiment. And one of the things that you touched on at the end, which I think was really good, was around this idea of responsibility. And obviously, since then, we've had this new executive order that came out about AI. And really, it feels like you could kind of bucket all of technology inside of that with this much bigger hammer, you know, that regulatory can use. But, uh, you know, this idea of let's think about what we're doing maybe before we take the first step a little bit. Mm -hmm. There seems like there's two camps that I've heard so far this year. There's a camp that's, I've said this a couple of times, like you either have a group that's very cavalier and doesn't really think about it at all, and a group that's very fearful. They're like two ends of of an affinity map. And then I'm sure there's a handful of folks like myself somewhere in the middle that's just you know, sometimes it's overwhelming with how quickly this stuff keeps coming out and man, I can't keep up and I'm not educated enough. Some of it's exciting and some of it, it can be kind of scary. How have you, you know, as you've thought through this talk and prepped for it and talked to others, how have you found what that balance should look like? The way I look at it is I remember the days of GDPR and all this like European privacy and data regulation and any of these sorts of things that we need to consider, especially when you're in a highly regulated environment. I come from fintech. We also serve a ton of customers who are in the healthcare space. Making sure that you have these boxes checked is one thing, but making sure that you have humans with you in your team that are not just box checking, but also making sure that customers who need that extra support and that extra, I guess, I don't, I guess we could call it some partnership. You have these people right there along with you, people who are not just looking at the impact of AI on this area of the product, but they're looking at the impact of AI on the entire business because they are responsible. Let's just say like someone like a chief a CISO, right? Or a chief legal officer and their teams, they're responsible for looking more macro. And so that's how I look at it is, is for companies that really want to do it well, making sure that you have this broader oversight committee or this group of humans that are helping to guide you along, not just to check your box, but to partner with your customers is really important. I'm in the middle too. I think that I've seen in Europe, especially that conference I mentioned, it was all about regulation. And I had just arrived there when like, I think they were talking about two big things that were hitting the courts. And then at the same time here, I'm watching products just like, take it, take it, take it, try it, try it. And like all these things come out at the same time. I'm like, whoa, is anybody looking at all of this? And then there's the other side of it where like, we're not touching that. Our customers won't want that. 
So I'm with you. I think some falling somewhere in the middle is really good, but you really do have to find the right people around you that have the capabilities to understand what could potentially happen to your business or your customers if you don't. That's a good point. It also feels hard because there's such a bar to have even, it feels like a baseline understanding because you know, you're right, the hotness this year with LLMs and generative AI, that's only a couple of small things inside this bigger umbrella. You've got machine learning, you've got computer vision, planning and scheduling, way more things than I even are, am aware of. Those aren't the hotness. That's not what a lot of people are talking about, but there's a lot more in there. And so I don't know, it feels like even just to have an educated opinion, you got to be almost a researcher to some degree, you know, on top of our day jobs. Absolutely. (laughs) It can almost be overwhelming. Going back to the talk, you talked about these six phases and you had a lot of great points in there. Obviously, you can only take away so many things in any talk. If you had to give somebody the here's the one, maybe two things that you should walk away with from the talk that you gave at industry, what would they be? I would say that more and more as I talk to our customers, that the six phases you're talking about is the stages around around the product life cycle. For those who obviously nobody saw it, who weren't in industry. But I would say five out of six was evaluate, the evaluate phase. And what I believe and what I'm seeing and what I've felt in the past leading teams and building product is at that stage, product managers, product teams move too quickly. They don't pause, they don't evaluate. And so I think if you think about AI and the impact that it can have at that phase, this is basically the phase where you've launched product or you've launched a feature and you are trying to understand whether it's successful, whether it's starting to march towards your goal or not. So there's a ton of qualitative and quantitative data that gets pushed your way, or it should be coming with some sort of tool your way. And not just a tool, but your partners across the company. I would say this is the point at which you want to lean in a ton and use AI to really help you synthesize all this information so that you can really lean now into the evaluate phase, become more efficient, make sure that your team is now taking in all of this information and then moving on to iterating to make a better product. Oftentimes when people hit this evaluate phase, particularly for those that are growing really quickly. So let's say like series, what, A to C-ish, right? Check me on that. But I feel like you're really starting to boom at least BC, right? Yeah. Less process, more innovation, really trying to get new product out the door. People fail to stop and look at all this data because it can be overwhelming. That's one. And two, they're just expected to continue to push more innovation, more innovative sides or pieces of their product. So stop, use AI, (laughs) like try to figure out how it can help you synthesize and make sense of all this information, make well-informed decisions, and then continue to move on. Yeah, I love that. You know, you know, we kind of started talking about how there are some of us that have thought about like, oh man, what does this mean for my job, my career? But what I love that you're talking about is like, it doesn't have to be scary, but it can make me be more informed. It can help you make a as a product leader, a better decision because it can go through the, I don't know, 30,000 daily active users, picking up a random number out of thin air here and their interactions, their feedback to help me innovate quicker. It's not a way to make me more obsolete. It's actually yet another way to make us more efficient. I think that's a great thing to recognize, especially for anybody that really is wrestling with what does this mean for my job? Yeah, efficient. There are ways that it can actually make you better. I don't know. Efficient is the word, right? Efficiency should be how we look at it. I love it. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about you. And I know that might be a little uncomfortable (laughs) here, but, you know, as you and I were chatting, I loved hearing a little bit about just your journey and your career as a product and business strategist. 
I think you were kind of saying here recently, you've been kind of diving a little bit more into the strategy side of things. But I'm kind of curious to kind of get ready for that. How did you find that product management and product leadership kind of equipped you to leap into the area of strategy and more operational strategy, business strategy? I would say there's a foundational layer in data across all of that. Oh, uh-huh. okay. So think again about the evaluate phase of everything. Yeah. At every stage in product, you have to be looking at the data to build, right? There's no more of this, at least I hope for most companies, most product managers, there's not this building off of gut thing that's happening anymore. I do come across. Sometimes maybe mm-hmm. you got to make an intuitive decision, but you're right. You yeah. should try to be more data-driven. But your product gut should be built up by that point, right? You have that product sense and you're using all this like built up information and built up experience to do that. I would say whether you're early in your product career or you're a product leader, you should be leaning on data. And, and the further you grow in your product career, you get access to more data, both from internal parties across the business your tools you're using, and then just looking outside the business, you know, at competitive Intel, you know, just more macro data, and then getting information sometimes from your board, sometimes from your investors, what's happening, where's the space going. And I think that you become, at least for me as a product leader, I became super interested in, wow, where is the space going? I'm already product passionate. So personally, I jumped into it because I wanted to continue to find a way to serve the product community in a different way, right? I built product for 12 years at that point and built product operations for a couple of those years. And then I was like, okay, well, what else can I do? So we acquired this company called Mind the Product, which I'm sure lots of folks listening to this have heard. We acquired them last year. It all ladders up to our vision and our mission at Pendo, right? And so for me, it was, how do I help both brands, both the Pendo side and the Pendo product, and then also the Mind the Product side, figure out how to make product managers' worlds better. And that requires understanding the space a bit more. We all do our research in this space, but like, man, it was so fun. And it happened during a time, again, AI just started to come out like crazy. And so for me, it had a lot to do with research, a lot to do with understanding what opportunities are, and then bringing that back to both brands and then sometimes our product team and saying, here's what we're seeing. Here's something interesting that we should or could try. For me, that's what informed my move into the strategy role at Pendo. So it sounds like what really excites you is data, Mm -hmm. if I had to pick on you a little bit. How do you balance that? Like, apparently, we're going to talk all about balancing things on this episode. (laughs) How do you balance that with intuition? I feel like that's a hard thing for a lot of people to do, because sometimes you're reading a thing, and it's like, oh, the data's telling me this, but man, my gut's not telling me that that is true, or... Maybe the data is like 50-50. How have you had to reconcile with that? For me, I'd spent a lot of time over the last two years or so understanding cognitive bias and product management and really digging into where we as product people have biases, right? There's a lot of recency bias. There's a lot of authority bias. I mean, there's so much that creeps in. I don't know about authority bias. That's interesting. I haven't heard that one. It's like the hippo effect. Have you heard that one? Mm-mm. What? Okay, Zach. Please, please tell me. <laughs> I like to learn. Tell me. The highest paid person's opinion. That's what it is. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So really, you know, is if you're thinking of yourself early in your product career, you've got a C team member, your chief product officer, your head of product. And the assumption is that because they are in that seat, their answer to what it is that should be next should be the right thing, or they might just be fair. And then you just do it, but it's not backed by data. 
there's your balance. It's like, you have to check yourself. You really have to check yourself in product. What am I feeling? What's in front of me? Sometimes your gut is going to be right, but generally the data is going to lead you to the right place. So I would say a good combination of your gut and then the data takes you to a better place and drives better outcomes for your company, for your team. I've never heard it called the hippo effect, but yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I love that too, because you're right. Like if the data is telling me this direction, then my intuition is telling me a totally opposite direction. Maybe that should make you stop and ask some questions. Yeah, questions. Man, I need to get curious about what's going on for me in that moment. I always say, check yourself. You should always check yourself. And listen, there are some wonderful product people who have built a lot of things off of their gut and they just had, I would say, luck in doing that. I'm sure we can all think of a couple of them that are very famous out there, right? Yes, you. <laughs> I'm not famous by any stretch of the imagination, but I have been and I've done that. Yeah. And thankfully it worked out once or twice, but quite a few times it did not. You know, you have to, at some point in your product career, get comfortable with the fact that you're not going to be right all the time and check that, right? Like check yourself and just turn around and say, okay, I do have a team around me. This is not a one man band or one woman band. This is a situation where I have designers, engineers, product operations, people, PMM around me and think of them as your team. You know, they're all coming in with different points and they're all coming in with healthy viewpoints and having that conversation, bringing in the data with that conversation. That's where I say we all check ourselves and make sure we're we're driving the right outcomes. I love that. I'm going to start stealing your isms here. Check yourself. (laughs) Check yourself. Isn't that a great, I'm a 90s kid. Isn't that a a start to a very fun hip hop song, but a check yourself before you wreck yourself? See? No. Just can't remember. Was it Ice Cube? Ice tea is in that camp. I feel like it was one of those. I'm showing my suburbanness right now. <laughs> That's okay. That's all good. So, as you kind of maybe took a step out of product leadership and moved more into strategy, what was hard about that for you? You know, if you had to compare the roles, I don't know. I don't know if you're like me. Like as I've grown in my career, like I miss some old things. Sometimes it's hard because you like have to. I don't know if the lament is the right word, but you kind of have to let something go that you used to enjoy, but like. I kind of enjoy this other thing more, maybe, but I still miss it. That's hard. I, in this role at this company, and this is not to say it happens at every company, I I relinquished my team. I had been a manager for 10 years prior to letting go of my team. And that was okay because this role was new and I knew that it was a challenge that I wanted to do. But man, did I quickly find out that I miss managing. Not managing, sorry, coaching. Manager is is your title, right? I would yeah. say coaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's nice because I was still able to coach, or I'm still able to coach our customers on how to build product teams, build product operations teams, what good product strategy looks like. But somebody asked me the same question the other day. For me, I like to see something through. I like to be able to measure the outcome. I like to be able to see if it's successful. And what happens is I coach external companies, and then I don't get to in this seat here see most of the time turnaround. I've actually seen one or two customers come back and say, here's what happened as a result of some of these things that we implemented, which is nice. They don't always do that. So I would say that to the management piece of it or the coaching aspect, like having the responsibility of helping somebody grow their career and drive an outcome with them. And the other thing is building, like building teams and building product. So I definitely continue to drive building experiences and helping our product community at large and then helping the business understand where to place bets. But doing the actual thing, doing like rolling up these sleeves and getting in there, 
and then figuring out if you're doing well or not. Oh man, I do miss that. Do you think it's the actual work or do you think maybe it's both and and or is it like the feedback loop? It's both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I love getting in and like it keeps you sharp when you are getting in there and like playing player coach sometimes, especially as you're building new teams. I really love that because you also then learn something new. There are different ways of doing things that come up every couple of years in our space. And so there's that side. And then the other side is, yes, the feedback loop and looking at the data again, looking at all of this, all of this <laughs> feedback that comes back and, and seeing if your efforts are going somewhere. So yeah, I would say both. That's fair. I share a little bit of that sentiment as I think about just my own journey. Like I miss a little bit of the, I did a thing, I saw the results, they were good, bad, or indifferent, you know, let's go try again. The waves get a little longer, I guess. It's hard. So I'm wondering, you've been doing this for just a little while, just just a short time. (laughs) If I'm 25 or just getting started, I'm early in my career, what should I know? What should I be thinking about now? How do I set myself up to work towards product leadership, strategy? You know, if you had to give advice, I have to ask, you know, what would you do if you had to go back in time and tell yourself, do these things differently? When people hear leadership, they think that you have to be a manager. And so I know I just mentioned I miss being a manager. That's because I I love the career coaching aspect of things. When you are a leader, it does not necessarily mean that you have been given a manager title. So I want to set that out there right away, right? I've met some incredible principal level folks that do not have direct reports. There's also another role called distinguished product manager does not have um, yeah, in my in my seat, I've met so many people in so many different roles and these cool titles. I want to be distinguished. I love that. That's what I said. I was like, I love this. <laughs> this title's awesome, but that one doesn't come with the people management side. Oh, okay. So you have to ask yourself at some point in your career, it's too early when you're in like two or three years, to be honest with you. At some point in your career, as you look around and you understand the inner workings of the business, do you want to be responsible for helping to grow the business? Do you want to be responsible for that plus helping to grow the people that then grow the business? You know, that's a question to ask yourself. Another thing is be humble in this space. You are not the smartest person. If you are the smartest person in the room, you probably need to go find another company to go work for. But be humble, really come in understanding what you're bringing to the table and what you're not bringing to the table. I share this really openly. I'm not a technical product person. I have no desire to be. And every technology partner, every engineering partner I've ever had. The first thing I say is I'm not technical. Sometimes you're going to have to speak to me in the plainest English possible, but that's okay because that's your job is to build. Your job is to understand the inner workings of this thing. I need to understand just enough so that I can articulate what I need to, to certain parties. My job is to understand the landscape, the business, the customer, the problems that we're about to solve, all these different things. And that's where I'm going to come into play with you, which is I'm facing that side you're facing that computer and that code. You're then facing quality at the end of the day, right? Are we building a product that's standing up and making sure that it's delivering consistently? We have to figure out how to do that together. So know your strengths, know your weaknesses and make it very clear. Quick philosophical aside, because I love asking people this question, should you lean into your strengths or try to build your weaknesses up? I mean, why can't you do both? Are you asking me which one I prefer? It may or may not be a trick question. I'm just curious. Yeah, both. Yeah, option C, both. Both, for sure, both. Because 
there's someone there who does not have the same strength as you that would benefit from you bringing that to the table. And then you will absolutely benefit from leaning into the weakness or learning more in order to drive this weakness. What's the right way to say this? In order to not be as weak? Not let it hold you back. <laughs> yeah, not, not let it hold you back. Not, not be, yes, not let it hold you back. But acknowledge it. Like I'm not saying, yeah. I'm not saying go and fix it. I'm not going to go and learn how to code. Be very clear on how much you want to do, but don't let any of that hold you back. I love that. It's like, hey, let's have a conversation about how we're going to play together and partner up. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's really good. Yeah. So brand ambassadorship. I want to talk about this word. I've heard evangelist over the years. I've, we're going to call it brand ambassadorship. We're going to give it a general term here. You've been speaking a lot more, I think, here in the last couple of years. Obviously, that's how we met when you were giving a talk here at Industry. It's also something I'm thinking about doing for myself. So I'm going to be a little selfish. So if you're listening and this isn't interesting to you, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I'm fascinated because I have a lot of fear and imposter syndrome when I think about this. So what has been hard? What's been the most fun? And what's been surprising for you as you've spent more time giving talks, getting out into the market, talking to people, writing more, kind of doing a lot more of that quote-unquote brand ambassadorship? I'll share a story from the beginning of my time when I took this role on earlier this year. I had such crazy imposter syndrome when I took this role. And the strategy piece, I already knew what I wanted to do. I already knew that it was a brand new space. We're crafting it. I knew I had some flexibility. As I looked at folks who are now on the public facing side, which is this evangelist or ambassador role, there's not a standard. There's not anything that sort of says, okay, this looks good and this looks bad. You have several folks who are out there doing the role of quote unquote evangelists. And I've met quite a few of them. I respect a lot of the, all the work that they do, to be honest with you. But for me, I asked myself, who is this girl going on stage speaking? And then everybody's going to listen and then try to go and implement something that I'm like some sort of practice or like we're talking about the whole AI and product management thing here. What is this going to turn into? Like, are people going to look at me and be like, what is she even talking about? And I sat down with my boss. This is the, this is the vulnerability thing I mentioned, like the same way in like understanding your strengths and weakness. I sat down with my boss, Ben, adore him. And I said, I am having some really serious imposter syndrome. And he, and he said to me, <laughs> do you realize that you have had access to so many customers who are seeking advice and seeking for you to bring not only your experience, but other customers' experiences to the table so that they can learn and that they can be better. And I need you to think about how you're going to apply that lens when you go out there, when you write, when you speak, when you coach, when you train, when you do all these different things. And I was like, yeah, because like in my head, the perfectionist that I am, I'm like, okay, I need to do all of this myself. I need to build all of this content myself. I need to, but you fail to recognize there's a whole army behind you in these types of roles sometimes. And then the whole army also in your brain from all of this built up information that's coming with, you know, for me, it was more customer time, right? And so I leaned into that quite a bit. I still have those moments of, oh my gosh, I'm about to get on stage. Are they going to laugh at me? And that might be more nerves than imposter syndrome. But that little talk from Ben really helped me to see things a little bit more clear. You know, he's like, just share what you're learning, both the good and the bad with the world, because all product people are going through the same challenges and we all just want to figure it out together. And I was like, okay. I love that. I'm, I'm stealing it. I'm writing okay. notes. <laughs> 
Thank you, Ben. Yeah, thank you, Ben. <laughs> All right. Most fun or surprising part? Uh, Anything come to mind? I mean, the travel has been the most fun for me this past year, for sure. It's been tiring, but it definitely was fun. Most surprising is the amount of people that have reached out after talks and have said, this helped me. This I'm writing this down. Like This thing you just said makes me really think deeply. People writing pieces about the talk after I'm finished, that's been really cool. And I'm so grateful for it. Like those things are really surprising to me. I'm just like, okay, I'm going out there and talking. You just don't know again. I'm like, what is going to happen after this talk? So that's been really good. And I would say something I'm really proud of that was really surprising to me this year is I spoke a lot over my time here at Pendo about product operations and continue to do that as I moved into this role. I was approached by Melissa Perry and Denise Tillis, who wrote the product operations book. And they asked me to review, do an early review for them, which was really, really cool. Wow. But most surprised that I was in the book. Hey. Yeah. So that was really cool to me. And that, you know, and that's not the role of the evangelist or the brand ambassador. That's the putting my own words out there and my own experience, but also bringing in the customer experience and talking to people about it. So surprising and grateful. That's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. That's so cool. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you about your crystal ball reading skills. I don't know if that's on your resume or not. (laughs) So obviously 2023 has been the year of AI, as we were talking about specifically LLMs and generative, but what do you think 2024 is going to be? Where are we headed? What are people going to be talking about? What's going to be hot? It's still going to be AI. I don't know what to tell you there. I think it's still going to be AI, but I'm hoping that it's going to be responsible AI. That is my hope. And if I could put the vibes out and like, (laughs) that's really what I want. They're coming through the headphones right now. People to just really think responsibly and ethically about how they're going to weave AI into their strategy and their business model. What about for you specifically? Me specifically. Oh, okay. So I am actually switching roles. <laughs> again? Yeah, again, again. Ooh, switching okay. roles and also switching companies. This is a behind the product <laughs> exclusive. <laughs> yeah, not an easy decision that I had to make. I'm sure. Yeah, I do. I mean, people who know me know that they say you bleed pink. Like Pendo's coming out of your pores. And I think, yeah, I feel like it might be. (laughs) But I've been here for almost five years and I got an incredible opportunity in another company and it would have just been a miss if I didn't take it. So moving into a head of product role at another company and starting that for the new year. So well, an awesome congratulations. Thank you. Since you probably haven't started yet, what would you anticipate? your 2024 theme be maybe my personal 2024 theme yeah i know it's a little early (sighs) man it's november so like you know i don't always set mine until december or january to enjoy what whatever's within your control (laughs) i would say wow yeah wow that's like biblical in some ways contentment i love it okay last question about kind of just you specifically what are you most passionate about and you can't say data. You already said data. Oh, yeah. I won't say data. I mean, I think we all know that now. But what am I most passionate about? Personally, in my life, I have two little girls. So making them smile, that's what I'm most passionate about. <laughs> I love it. I have two little boys, so I can relate at least with boys. And then professionally, I truly am passionate about serving the product community. And the nice thing about my path has been I've been able to serve as an IC, as a leader, as 
a strategist as an evangelist or whatever role we're calling it now, ambassador. ambassador. <laughs> and moving into this new head of product role, I do not plan on stopping that. And so this space of product is something that I'm really passionate about. And the the role I'm going into, it's for a company that's not serving product managers as its core persona. But I plan on sharing my insights in this new seat. And so I look forward to your talk next year <laughs> on whatever it is. Thank you. It'll be fun. Awesome. Okay. Last quick fun question. Could be fun. Hopefully. We'll see. This is uh, risky here. As you look back on 2023, I know we're still got about six weeks left. What was the most memorable? Yeah, I mentioned earlier, 2024, focusing on enjoying the things within your control. 2023, both professionally and personally, the older and wiser I get... <laughs> I said older than I added yes, in wiser. As we all, as we all, as we all. Older. there are so few things within your control, and that to me is the most. Isn't that the truth? Yeah, that's the most memorable thing from this year. Is there are so few things, both at work and then in life, that you can control, and you just have to figure out how to navigate around things and how to enjoy things within your reach. That's it. I feel wiser. <laughs> I think it's happening. The wisdom is coming. Thanks, Zach. It's funny that you're getting wiser because I feel like as I'm getting older, I'm getting just a little bit like my memory is getting worse. There's that. That happens. Things seem to be declining maybe a little bit. <laughs> that seems fair. I don't know. One day. One day. <laughs> well, I appreciate you spending time with me and I look forward to hearing about the new endeavor next year in 2024. I'm sure we'll run into an industry and have to do another follow-up on one of these based on whatever you're talking about then at that time. So fun. I'm excited. I'm excited. So thank you for spending some time with me. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. 